I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. How about, Christina, your work, uh, your career, your business? What is the thing that most drives you in it today? It's my message. I believe in what I what I have to share with the world, and uh, I just keep doing it as much and as well as I can. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. I've spoken to two thousand people and to twenty, <laughs> and sometimes I'm very eloquent, and sometimes I say something, and then at the end of the show, I'm like, "What did I just say?" <laughs> but I believe in what I in in what I have come come to myself in my own life. And I think that the world would be a better place if we learned to love ourselves. Welcome to Self Helpful. I'm your guide, Kevin Miller, and I curate the sea of new personal development messages to bring the most influential leaders onto this show. Join me as I question my guests to better understand their counsel so we can all integrate the wisdom into our lives because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. The Self-Helpful Podcast is presented by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping coaches. Visit Ziggler.com. Hello, Self-Helpful listeners. In this episode, happiness is the biggest contributor to health. I'm back for part two with Christina Mand-Lakiani, co-founder of Mind Valley and author of Becoming Flossom, the key to living an imperfectly authentic life. This is my What Drives You episode where I walk with Christina through her personal values and habits. It's in the category of health and wellness where she shares that her perspective on being happy uh, does more for her than anything else. Just that, being happy does more for her health than anything else. A point I think we miss as we give all of our focus to what we eat, how we sleep, and getting good sleep. She also attests to being European and drinking wine and eating chocolate and having an active lifestyle that includes kickboxing classes. Other highlights, she feels that we often hide behind spiritual concepts rather than dealing with our emotions. Regarding her mental state, she strives to be kind with herself and to replace judgment with curiosity. I appreciate that. In her work, she wants to make sure that in whatever she's digging for, she also enjoys the digging itself. Wise counsel. Hey, quick note, if you like to watch your podcast, you can now get this full episode and others on YouTube. Just type in self-helpful 
with Kevin Miller. Well, Christina, it was during our first talk together, I always start off with the spiritual aspect of values. And you talked about uh, spiritual bypassing. And I, I didn't, I didn't uh, ask anything on it because I thought I'm going to save it for here. So uh, uh-huh. unpack that for me. What is that? Well, it's not my term. The term uh, is uh, rather old. It's been around in the industry, but in essence, it means where rather than dealing with your own emotional unprocessed trauma, you are hiding behind spiritual concepts. So a very simple example would be uh, you have a conflict with a person, but rather than facing that conflict, you say, no, 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 I only feel love for you. Oh, I'm all love, you know. I uh, so rather than dealing with uh, the actual problem at hand, you hide behind the concept which, in spiritual world, is uh, highly regarded as you know the feeling of love for everyone. Right. Uh, and that's that's a very simple example. But uh, yeah, it is it is a tempting thing to do, of course. <laughs> so is that part of your own journey, or t- so tell me about that when you uh, for your own spirituality? You know, what is what's important to you there? So my spirituality is still a huge work in progress because I was born in Soviet Union. So I was brought up in a very, um, you know, very atheistic uh, environment. And my um, uh, my physics teacher was the one that I've already referenced. He said, uh, he always said, whatever is not explained by science doesn't exist. And then, of course, Soviet Union collapsed. And very uh, surprisingly, people actually had the a reverse reaction where a lot of people became incredibly religious, which is also uh, not, uh, strictly speaking, very spiritual in my opinion. It's very dogmatic often. Agreed. So I have been, I've been searching on this path. Unfortunately, I'm a little too academic and uh, I think uh, Stephen Hawking has had too much influence on me. So I, I hope that by the time I'm ready to transition into another world, I'll, I'll come to peace with that aspect. So my spirituality is still, is still in children's shoes. But my journey to personal growth and transformation was a little bit more um, more down to earth. I ended up there by accident uh, because my then husband uh, was very passionate about it. And uh, I, I found it um, th- th- that I was the best use of my time to help him with his business. That's, that's how I ended up in Mindvalley. Uh, and uh, after years of just helping with no personal attachment to to the idea of personal growth, uh, I kind of got sucked into it, which is interesting because sometimes you know we find our path reluctantly and uh-huh. not not by by design. <laughs> well, and it, when you look at that, I mean, yeah, your life has been for so long now devoted to, as we talked about in the first show, personal transformation, your own. And then you devoted and are devoting, obviously, to other people. Like you talked about uh, initially, you wrote the book because it's something that you had to birth. It's something that you wanted to get out. And to me, that's a uh, that's a core foundation of spirituality is that there is something you are devoting to beyond just yourself, just Christina. And when you look at that, even as you're seeking out where and what you put your faith in, do you feel that at the core that you have devoted, you recognize something greater than self and that's what you devoted to from a spiritual aspect? I, I actually, I wonder if I do that as a choice because the things that I really love uh, are the things that are bigger than me and that I devote myself to. And it's, it, it's not a forced relationship. So for me, the first spiritual experience was becoming a mother. Mm. And uh, as uh, unsexy as it might sound, but uh, I, I do really love the company of my children and I enjoy witnessing their growth. 
So it is it, it is definitely bigger than me. Well, at least uh, mathematically speaking, there are two and I'm one. Sure. <laughs> I've um, the book the book has been um, a surprise discovery for me. I am a writer. I like to write. I I never realized I was right until the book was finished, and then and then it all fell into place. Like, of course, it's because I'm a writer, <laughs> and that's the way uh, writers express themselves. They write, but it is definitely bigger than myself. You know, it reminds me of when I was uh, so when I was a kid. I was uh, in art school and we had this uh, process you, you created art all sorts of different uh, formats and at the end of the school year you hung all your art in one section of the wall and then all the teachers of the school would like stand there and and, and say what they think about your art and it was the most exciting experience because they would actually see things in my art that I didn't know were there they'd be like oh and when she was doing this she thought that and I'm like yeah, I guess I did. Sometimes, sometimes when you are in that flow and you express yourself fully, you don't even, you can't even put your finger on the pulse and understand what exactly is happening, but the beautiful thing is happening. So for me, uh, that finding meaning in what I do or doing something which is bigger than me was not about doing the right thing or, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be selfish. I should think about the rest of the world. No, it was just, just, being passionate and doing what I love. It's interesting. You talked about flow again. We talked about that in the first show, first talk together. And you referenced in your book, Stephen Kotler, who again, I've had on the show talking about flow. I mean, that to me, Christina, it feels spiritual. It's something I can't explain. You know, it's such a feeling and it feels transcendent, which is, you know, moving beyond just the tactile, tangible understanding we have of the current situation. Uh, is to be in flow and to transcend, which yeah, feels so spiritual. And I hear that. I feel that from you. And I feel that from your book so much that it is a, a deeper beyond self uh, thing that I'm grateful. I'm grateful for. Uh, Thank you. Can I add to, I, you know, as you please. were talking about flow, I think it's also about trusting yourself and the universe, of course, and the process, but trusting yourself, wow. believing in yourself. And that brings me back to relationship with the self. You know, what is, what is true unconditional love when there is, uh, yes, there's presence, compassion, you know, it's, it's, you're committed to it, but also trust. I haven't thought and about we, it in that and way. And we, we are, uh, we have been untrained to trust ourselves. Our industry is massively to blame. Marketing is massively to blame entertainment, news, everything, everybody says you can't trust yourself. You can't listen to yourself because you're, you're going to lie to yourself because you're lazy and stupid by nature. Mm -hmm. But we are magical. That feels spiritual in essence <laughs> right there. It really does. And, and again, I, I feel that thread through all that you're, that all that you're doing. Well, I mean, the next category here, Christina is relationships and yeah, in regards to a spiritual aspect, saying that you're maybe one of the first or highlight aspects of that was becoming a mother, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a big family. I've got a lot of kids and you know, it's even a part of my own story. My dad, tried to leave his faith in some way, or at least question it. And what brought him back to us, an, an aspect of spirituality was having me, not because I was that great, but having a baby. What a miracle is that? So it sounds like from a relational standpoint, that has changed your life and is a key aspect of your relational drive, being a mom. Uh, one thing that uh, I learned from motherhood is the idea of unconditional love. 
I think that was the closest I got to understanding what it means to love someone uh, more than yourself unconditionally, effortlessly, mm. because it's uh, it it is uh, it is a very well divine skill, I guess. And sometimes by by throwing love everywhere, by demanding love for to, towards everyone, we we are stretching the concept so thin that we are depriving it of its essence and of its depth. So for me, understanding love was definitely a relationship with children. And it doesn't mean that it was an easy relationship. I was afraid of my firstborn for a few years <laughs> because I couldn't understand him. But I... Uh, it's, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was that experience of loving someone without having to put effort into it. Yeah. Now you, t I, I do want to pull out just from the book, you talk about parenting and specifically as being a mother, being a woman and that people will generally come. And that's the first thing, how are the kids doing that that's forefront <laughs> and that you had to deal with the frustration of do you, what about the rest of my life? That's not the only thing that you are. And I appreciate that because we do tend to label ourselves by our roles and maybe one definitively and you as a woman they tend to think okay mother that's primary role and she's no that's that's a part of me you were something before you had kids is that fair and you're something after that as well and share a little bit of that because i think especially mothers will relate to it well the, it's it's actually it has the truths in in psychology there is a theory of social roles yeah. and uh according to that theory and actually according to my observations as well uh we all play different roles in our life which is natural. We are, uh, well, just taking, talking about motherhood. I'm a mother, but I'm also a child. And, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a writer, but I just was showing you the new books that I received. I'm also a reader, right? right. You're a teacher, you're a student. It's, it's normal. We have all sorts of different roles. Now, according to the theory of social roles, we tend to prioritize roles which are highly valued by society. So, for example, if I'm a mother and entrepreneur, it's a natural tendency for me to prioritize entrepreneur over mother because whether we like it or not, but society values entrepreneurship as a more valuable social role than mothers because there are so many mothers, I guess. I do not know why we do that, but that's that's how it is. So a lot of the times, and especially in social settings, that's the role that I want to be recognized by because it is socially more valuable role. Sure. Now, sometimes those different roles, not sometimes, most of the time they come with different scripts, but sometimes they come with contradictory scripts. So if I'm a woman, but I'm also a leader. Now the stereotypical uh, qualities of a woman are not the same as the stereotypical qualities of a leader. Leader is usually single-mindedly focused on results a little bit maybe decisive, maybe authoritative. Women, good women, well, according to contemporary right. society, and of course that's a very arguable point, but society would normally say that women care about everybody's well-being, they're nurturing, they're, you know, they, they, they're about emotions, they can multitask. This is the opposite. Now, if I'm a woman and a leader, and I want to be seen as a good leader, because leader is socially more valued role than a woman, what I will do is that I will assume the qualities of the leader, but society perceives me as a woman more than a leader. And society will deem me to be bitchy, to be pushy, mm -hmm. to be aggressive. 
And that's, so the problem arises. And in my life, that's where a lot of cognitive dissonance started coming was when the, my different social roles were at conflict with each other. And I couldn't reconcile them. And I will prioritize one over the other. It took me years to start actually being proud of my role as a, as a mother, because it was constantly, constantly a struggle. People didn't see me beyond a mother. And not only that, they didn't see my value as a human, as a, as a part of the society as a mother, because there are so many mothers. So right now, I proudly talk about my motherhood, because I think we as a society should learn to appreciate parenting and to appreciate this parent-child relationship. But it was a, it, it was an uphill battle. It requires a lot of fortitude to actually, to actually embrace that part of you, which society doesn't think is valuable. Yeah. And say that this is what makes me special. Yes, I came from Soviet Union. I've got so much criticism for my bizarre, uh, bizarre accent. But that also gives me an edge. It gives me a different point of view on a lot of things. So, you know, while, let's say, 20 years ago, I was actually asked not to speak on Mindvalley's videos because my accent is so confusing and a lot of people would get frustrated. Hmm. I'm past that. Now Now I, I can proudly say that, yes, I had messed up past. I was born in a country which was horrible, which doesn't even exist anymore. But because of that experience, I am what I am right now. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier, and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit. 
which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Yeah, no, it's good. The next category then, Christina, is health and wellness. And uh, tell me about that part of your life. What do you value there for your own health and wellness? What motivates you that direction? I value happiness as the biggest contributor to anybody's health. And yes, I uh, do sports as much as I can, uh, as much as my lazy bum <laughs> can endure. I have, uh, this, this is probably one of the very few areas in my life where I had to uh, implement discipline tricks and, <laughs> and willpower. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I know the, I mean, the theory behind everything. And I uh, try to live a healthy life, but I have my little uh, sinful habits. Like uh, I like, I'm European. So sorry, guys, if you want to judge me, but I drink wine because I love it. And I eat chocolate. And occasionally I don't feel like going to the gym, although I do like uh, kickboxing very much. And when my trainer is not traveling, I do it very diligently. <laughs> so, and I, I have a very active lifestyle, but uh, I don't obsess about it. For me, sleeping uh, is important too. Uh, fresh air is important too. Hugging my children and kissing them is incredibly important because uh, emotional well-being is such a big part of of uh, of your physical health. Yeah. When you you said sport and you said kickboxing, is that your primary you know exercise per se movement? Is that it? I do 10x and I do kickboxing and I walk a lot. I learned to ride a bike at 43. Uh, yeah, I do. I do a lot of stuff. I am very active. I, I can easily walk like 10 kilometers without even batting an eye. It's it's normal. So I believe I'm a marathoner. But kickboxing is the, the one which I've been doing probably the longest and uh, I, I really enjoy it. Yes. How it about, also allows me to sublimate my anger and stress. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's a medication for me is getting out for me on the trail and, and, uh, doing a ride or a run. What about on the nutritional side, any specific thing, uh, you know, kind of a dietary structure that you adhere to? I, um, I, I'm probably the least disciplined person to talk about that. Yeah. I, I, I will quote Sophie Loren. I just recently read her quote. She said, yes, maybe by I'm curvy, but I, I am, I'm interpreting it my own way. She said, I, I prefer my curves and, um, rather than, you know, not having them and not having pasta and wine all my life. So basically I'm, I'm together with her, but you know, um, I think that we we do. Uh, I mean, I'm, I put a lot of effort into veggies and uh, fruits because I am uh, naturally um, naturally drawn to to meat and chocolate. So I have to discipline myself into eating <laughs> into eating uh, a variety of uh, of things. And I understand the concepts of nutrition because it's just part of my work. I mean, I've heard so much, so I I, I know the theory behind everything. But I also believe that very often the stress that you feel about uh, about stepping aside from your um, 
strict nutritional plan is worse on you than than that piece of pizza that you shouldn't have eaten or something like that. Uh, I, I I truly believe in that. But with that said, yes, I, I tend to eat healthy, and uh, and to teach my my kids and my my parents to to eat healthy. Uh, oh, but I wanted to ask the motive behind it. Uh, so when you look for at that, healthy. Well, for any of it, yeah, for any of the health and wellness pursuits, what is the motive behind it? What is I, the- I need to preserve my body until a very long age. I can't afford breaking it too early. Fair. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's a, is it more of a long term? I mean, obviously you want to feel good today, but it's yeah. looking to the future. Okay. Yeah, it's it's just that you know we we need to live so much longer. I, I think I had my opening moment when I was in my early thirties. I went to the doctor uh, for a regular checkup, and he said, "Take care of your teeth. You will need them until really long age." Yeah. And I was like, "That's a very wise idea. <laughs> Maybe I should take care of my teeth. We'll need them longer than previous generations." So I look at it more from the point of view is like you know if if we have to live until. Uh, science is, of course, divided on that, but let's say past 100 years even. Some people say 130, 140, then we need to maintain this uh, this body <laughs> a little with a little care. Well, and I will, again, coming back to your experience for so long now with people on Mind Valley, that when I look at that, even as I'm looking at the people on there, most of them are fairly well health and wellness, it tends to go side by side with the health and wellness of the brain and what they're getting out of themselves. And it seems like there, there is, you know, there's definitely connection, but there is also a slippery slope again, because I don't right. believe in absolutes. Right. And very often because we don't understand you, you, you I, I believe in understanding the essence of phenomenon it's because we don't understand the idea of relationship with yourself and self love. We are tempted to substitute with things which we understand, which is self-care, because self-care is ritualistic by nature. Do you remember when we were talking about success? Because it's hard to understand flow. Flow is so intangible. It's easier for us to grind, to hustle, because we know how to put more hours into something. So the same with self-love. Very often, self-care, if you love yourself, you'll probably take care of yourself. But just because you take care of yourself doesn't mean that you love yourself. Very often, it is also a spiritual bypassing. If I don't know how to fix my relationship with myself, I'll do something which I understand, which is ritualistic in nature. I'll make another, you know, I'll go to a gym again. And yes, there is an element of sublimation, which will make you feel better. And of course, the hormones will also make you feel a little bit better. But if you have a core problem, which needs solving, which doesn't need just the first aid, which, you know, the, the hormones that you experience after your gym workout is first aid. The actual diagnosis and treatment of a problem sometimes require you to stop running away, to sit down and ask yourself, what's going on? Why do I keep meditating until endlessly? Why do I keep going on walks endlessly? Why do I get so, so, you know, carried away into those self-care routines? You know, a very, very simple uh, analogy would be, again, kids. For a kid to grow up, you need to wash, feed, walk with the kid, you know, take care of them, maintain their right. bodies. But for a kid to be happy, they need love. And this is, in, this is intangible. Yeah. Thank you um, for that piece of it. You just mentioned meditating. The next category is mind and mental health. And I have to say the mental state even that we don't think about often. What What's a mental state I want to try to support for myself? So when we look at mind and mental health and mental state, uh, it, you just mentioned meditation. Is that a key aspect of that for you? 
I have done meditation for such a long time that I uh, don't necessarily do it uh, the traditional way. Okay. Uh, I believe meditation the essence of meditation is when you uh, are capable of focusing your attention on things that matter to you and being present. So I am a huge proponent of doing it in two ways. Practice it traditionally so that you practice the muscle. Like you go to the gym and you practice your muscles, but you need these muscles to carry your children and grandchildren. So I, if, if I'm uh, losing the skill, I will sit down and meditate for 20 minutes and maybe go on a retreat to, to you know, to uh, practice that muscle. But for me, the value of meditation is in being able to focus your attention and be present throughout the day. So uh, like carrying your kids, you need your muscles to, to play with your kids, to walk, go on long walks, to, you know, to, to live an active lifestyle. So for me, a practice of meditation is about going out on a walk and actually seeing what, hearing the bird songs, feeling the smell, the, the, the air, rather than looking into your phone, staying in the queue. And rather than trying to optimize you waiting, let's say for half an hour in the queue by catching up on emails, but actually observing people, yeah. seeing the life as it unfolds. That's, that's what practice of meditation is in my life. What else do you do to protect and support your mental state, your mental health? I try to be kind to myself and I replace judgment with curiosity. Hmm. That speak on that judgment versus curiosity. Cause as we talked about in the first show, perfectionism, especially we talked about that quite a bit and that judgment is a big piece of that. So you're trying to replace that judgment aspect of that with curiosity. Explain what that looks like. So I, I would usually do it on myself, but because it's easier to understand uh, external examples, yep. I'm sure you will relate because you've interviewed a lot of people. Sometimes your guest says something you don't agree with. Sure. And you have a, a nice, polite style. You're not going to <laughs> hit the person back with a brick on their head. Right. So there are, the, when, when that happens to me, for example, uh, we're very often tempted to shut down and to say, to, to pass a judgment. Oh, you're wrong here. Oh, you misunderstand that or whatever that judgment is. So how it, how it plays out for me in my interviews, for example, if somebody says something that I don't agree with, I, I try to remember that this show is about my guests. So I, I try to understand why does the person think the way they do? So you make a statement I don't agree with, and rather than just passing a judgment, oh, I'm not just, I'm just not going to go into that area because I disagree, it might end up in conflict. I try to dig deeper with the question. I wonder, why do you say like this? I wonder, what do you feel? I wonder what your values are. So that's an external example. I try to apply the same approach to myself. Yeah. So if I do something rather than passing a judgment on myself, oh, that's because I'm lazy. Oh, that's because I'm a perfectionist. Oh, that's because I'm always in my head. I just ask a lot of questions. What's going on? What does it say about me? What does it say about my values? That relates to, yeah, you talk about that in the book, how we discount our feelings, how we, I just shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't feel that way. And so I hear you saying here that being curious and going, why do I? feel that way? Why did I behave that way? And being curious. So again, yeah, it's, it's not, it's just, it's so 
illogical to us or unnatural to us, or it seems like it's grown to be as opposed to looking at ourselves and again, treating us with the same respect that we would someone else. And so I appreciate your refocus back on self to begin with. How about Christina, your work, uh, your career, your business, what is the thing that most drives you in it today? It's my message. I believe in what I what I have to share with the world, and uh, I just keep doing it as much and as well as I can. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. I've spoken to two thousand people and to twenty, <laughs> and sometimes I'm very eloquent, and sometimes I say something, and then at the end of the show, I'm like, "What did I just say?" <laughs> but I believe in what I in in what I have come come to myself in my own life. And I think that the world would be a better place if we learned to love ourselves. I think we'd hurt each other less. When you look at your work and career and business overall, and you've had some shifts and growing, you know, now you're an author, now you're, you're going to get more opportunities. What is it that you place as your core value and what you're doing as far as uh, what opportunities you say yes to, what you say no to, what keeps you on the path that you want to be in? So nowadays, of course, it's my team who says yes or no. So <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it's uh, not always yes for everyone because it's uh, the, the, it's, the team says, you know, what's strategic, what's not. At some, at some point, I guess you have to, you have to start focusing. But my natural inclination is just to talk to everyone if they have curiosity and uh, if they ask uh, interesting questions. I can spend time giving a one-on-one uh, session to just someone from the audience. I'm fine with that. I'm just passionate about uh, this, these topics. I like to read uh, other people's books and research, <laughs> and uh, I just enjoy it. And, and it doesn't matter. I mean, my team will remind me that I'd rather have to choose the stage that has a wider reach. <laughs> but uh, but I've, done, I've done really small uh, talks as well just because... Um, just because I had a chance, why not? Where do you need the most, just in your in your work, you talk about your team, where do you need the most, uh, I was going to say support, but even the the like some boundaries so that you don't go awry? I have my own boundaries. I've learned it a long time ago. I lived in Malaysia for 16 years in Southeast Asia. So uh, we, uh, and it, it was a funny way how I learned it. We had a lot of house help, obviously, everybody did. And uh, I realized that uh, that's the only place where you can buy time when you let someone else do the job. And I know I learned it on a very funny analogy of, you know, someone else cleaning my apartment. But I carried that uh, same idea into my business. And I only do in my business, I only do the things that only I can do and no one else. Yeah. Once there's someone who can do that, not maybe not perfectly, maybe not like me, I would not do that. So uh, I've, I've made this decision a long time ago, and I've always been very strict with, I, I only want to do the things that only I can do. And that doesn't mean that I don't have a few frogs that I have to eat every once in a while. Of course I do. <laughs> but and, and it's not like I enjoy every single thing that I do about my work. Sometimes, sometimes there are things I, I don't enjoy, but I, I still have to do them. But the boundaries that I have had uh, to... I've had to rediscover recently was uh, now with that 
book that we are publishing, I we decided to go for American market, and I've never had so much interaction with American uh, partners before because uh, uh, my, my our business has been always in um, you know in in Asia, and I'm European, so I have a somewhat different approach to work. So that whole uh, lack of balance between life and work is shocking to me. And the amount of times I had to say, I'm not doing interviews between seven and nine. By the way, I'm uh, <laughs> breaking that rule today, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm honored. But the amount of times I had to say that. Yeah. And here, but why? Because this is the time when my kids are back from school and they have done their homework and they're not going to sleep yet. And I need to have this time to spend with my children. Yeah. And then I would hear something like, oh, so your book is not important to me. No, it is. Yeah. But, you know, let me paraphrase Harvecker. What is more important to you, your hand or your leg? How about both? Yeah, yeah. It, it is a cultural difference. I worked with a company and they had an office in Switzerland. And that team worked very differently than the American team did. They had their two hour lunch and they'd go for their ride and, you know, dinners were super late and such a different culture. And yet one that seems to be, I think Europe wide mm -hmm. seems to be more at peace in general than our hustle culture here in America. So I appreciate you pulling that out. But can you, can I add to that? Please, because please. enjoying your life is incredibly important for your success. There's research that says that you are much more likely to achieve success if you are, you know, if you if you're happy, if you're enjoying yourself. Moreover, uh, do you remember we're talking about the flow, the state of flow? If you're in the flow, you can produce within the same amount of time five times more. So, in essence, if you take care of your well-being, you're much more likely to work to be more productive. If you work, there's another research. I actually haven't seen it myself, so you'll have to believe me. But another research that says that uh, that if you are doing your work exhausted and tired or sleep deprived, it's equivalent to having had a bottle of beer and working. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We sometimes don't realize that that rest is so important for your productivity. You, you, it pulls back to what we talked about before on enjoying the digging. When you're digging for diamonds, if you're not enjoying the digging. And I, again, I'm still, I'm consistently having to pull myself out of the cultural norm. And I will say yesterday, it was a beautiful day. I ditched everything and went for a two hour ride. And uh, I think it makes me so much more productive today because I'm inspired. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the digging with you here, Christina. Uh, money, finances, wealth, even possessions is next. When you look at those things, when you look at your money, look at the things that you have and want to have, what would you say is your primary driving factor there, your value? Uh, I usually need money for something. Um, so that's, uh, that's, uh, has, has been the theme, I guess, but I have a very funny relationship with money because you see, I was born in Soviet Union and in Soviet Union, they had idea of communism and a lot of people outside, of course, don't know what it is. Uh, so communism is not just a political doctrine, but the idea was that there will be a society without money and whatever you need will be provided by the state. So that was, uh, the, I, the, the goal that I was growing up with as a child, not my personal growth. Goal, but I mean, my society was into that idea. And then, uh, of course, when Soviet Union collapsed, uh, our countries were 
considerably poorer than uh, the Europe in which we joined in. Um, so I remember when I first uh, lived in Norway, uh, it was 1999, so it was about eight years after Soviet Union collapsed. I, I couldn't afford almost anything and I couldn't rely on my parents because uh, what I earned there as a student, which was minimal in Norway, was more than a monthly salary in Estonia. So uh, my relationship has been always very, very strange, but I've also had a very less fair approach to that. I guess I never obsessed about this. So at some point, now of course it's not a very appropriate say, thing to say since the queen uh, has died, but I used to say that I'm like the queen of England. <laughs> Money is an abstract concept in my life. I know it's somewhere there all the time and when I need it, it happens. <laughs> but that's that has been my approach all my life. It's uh, uh, when we divorced with Vision, that's that was the first time when I realized that maybe I need to learn a little a little more, and to uh, to trust myself a little more. And uh, and there was this this transition of understanding that you know whatever we've built, we've actually built together, and I I deserve it as well. But uh, it's it's a it's a complex uh, mix of a lot of a lot of different uh, currents and and uh, stupid ideas that I bought into. But I will say this: um, I did uh, Harvaker's training um, about ten years ago, and I really think he's one of the most brilliant teachers in that sphere. That that who is that who's Harvaker T Harvaker. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's, he's a brilliant teacher and a lot of his teachings, you replace money with love, you replace money with health and it still makes sense. <laughs> it must be deep. It must be. Yeah. What do you look at it then primarily as money is just a, it's basically a tool to enable the life that you want. Yes. Okay. yes. I need, I need money for a few projects that I am busy with right now. Uh, if I have more than that, I'll, I, I tend to just put it into investment because I, I, I understand. I mean, I'm not so dumb as I might seem from money wise, as I might seem from this answer. I've done, I've done investment trainings and everything I do. Uh, I, I have passive incomes. I've invested. Uh, I'm like a tiny, small, uh, investor in different, uh, different ventures. So, uh, I, I'm not completely clueless, but, uh, I've always been, um, of the idea that, you know, when, when something is important, you'll figure it out. And, um, if you have value to give, the money will start coming. You just have to keep trying. You have to be dedicated to, to your course. Last one here, Christina is just personal interests. And I tend to look at this as the things that you do that in and of themselves may not be a productive thing. It's just something that you engage with that inspires you and fills you up. So what do you do just for you? So I'm a very sneaky person. I decided that, uh, you know, I've created a title for myself. I'm everyday life philosopher. So I'm writer, author, entrepreneur, obviously, and an everyday life philosopher. For me, it's almost the first, the first title that I have. Um, professionally speaking. And that allows me to just live life, observe life and consider it work because <laughs> I'm philosophizing about everyday life. So anything I do is about work. <laughs> I source material, uh, learnings, transformation, discoveries in everything, even when I broke my phone. But what I love doing, I love uh, traveling, of course, and I'm very, uh, I'm very scientific about traveling. We, uh, we 
have a um, very scientific approach with my kids, you know, where we want to go and what we want to see. Uh, I love classical literature, uh, 19th century English literature. I love, I can quote Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah. Another source of personal growth and transformation, incredible source of personal growth and transformation. I like all sorts of arts and I used to draw, but my eyesight has started going a little bit um, weaker. So I, I, I'm uh, avoiding it because I notice that I don't see the details and then I get frustrated. But I, I every once in a while, I'll, I'll get into something, you know, artistic. Uh, yeah. I've, I've studied art, so I'm, I'm professionally trained. I play piano right now. Uh, it's really good for your brain development. And I love solfeggio, you know, when you actually uh, see the uh, the anatomy of music. Um, I, I play harp, uh, but I've lost all my harp notes. So I've been a little frustrated with my harp. Uh, what else? Oh, I learned to ride a bike. I love riding bikes with kids, uh, just to discover the, the, uh, you know, the, the city or new, new places. Uh, that's what about are, it. What are the primary right activities with your kids? So just play time with the kids. We, uh, you know, I, I try to balance the, the lazy time with, with something productive, but because I've created my life, because I also get tired at work and I've, I've created the systems in my life so that the kids do all the productive things with either at school or with their caretaker and the two hours that I get with them, we get to be as lazy as we can. So we've been on a spree of, uh, my kids are educating me on all the movies western movies not western as in western uh, genre but uh, I, I again I, br I grew up in soviet union so i didn't know such movies as back to the future and <laughs> you know all those things right. so i've been i've been educated in that aspect in marvel and and star wars uh, that's that's what we've been doing we also read together and um and when when we are uh, lazy a little too long then i'll insist that we go out and do something outside Sweet. Christina, it's just been a joy. Thank you for, yeah, giving the behind the scenes on what, what does drive you, what your values are. It adds so much context to your message overall. And I hope that, uh, we get as many people as we can to purchase the book and, to tune in with you and what you're doing and your just efforts to, to lift and raise us all up and to be flossom as you talk about. It's been a gift to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's part two with Christina Mandlachiani, co-founder of Mind Valley and author of Becoming Flossom, The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life. Coming up in our next episode, I'm going to be joined by my brother, Jared Angaza, to dig further into this concept. And we discover, and we really do, it's a discovery session, honestly, some key concepts about authenticity and how we view it and how I think they're revelatory, honestly. You'll, I think you'll want to tune in to reframe how you view and walk out your own authenticity. Friends, thank you for tuning into Self Helpful, where I curate the sea of new personal development materials and help you integrate wisdom into your life because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. 